Welcome to Warp and Weft. I'm your host, Allison Carr. This is a podcast where we explore the stories, practices, and skills that help us weave our world back together. Happy 2021, everybody. Um, Wow, what a year this is already shaping up to be. Before we get started with the interview, I wanted to say a quick thanks to all the folks who have reached out um, since the last episode uh, just to um, let me know how much they appreciated uh, my episode where I talk about my process coming forward about my former teachers and mentors. If you haven't heard it yet and you don't know what I'm talking about, it's episode 17 of this podcast. It's where I discussed um, public publishing a zine that um, outlined my personal story in coming to grips with realizing that my former teachers and mentors had been involved, in, that I had been involved in a manipulative and um, unhelpful relationship with them. You can still get copies of my zine if you want to read it um, on my website. You can order it there. My website is alisoncar.net. I really feel like this issue is going to continue to be at the forefront of our world and especially of the witchy, spiritual, new agey, woo-woo world. Um, If you consider yourself part of that even even in an ironic way. Um, 2021 is a hierophant year, right? So we are really going to be reckoning with um, pedagogy and uh, our teachers and the people we place our trust and power in. And I personally think that this is a great thing. And I think given the climate of the world we're living in and the current conditions we find ourselves in, um, both in the U.S. and in other countries in the world, just with learning how to reckon with misinformation, learning how to recognize cult-like scenarios, um, making ourselves more resilient and immune to manipulative leadership, um, I think is going to be an essential skill for moving forward in whatever world we find ourselves in. There are certainly lots and lots of resources out there and more and more coming out every day for helping folks navigate this. Um, And my zine is only one small part, but it always makes me feel good when people let me know that they found it helpful. So thank you, everybody who has reached out. Now, um, for this interview, I am so pleased and excited to present my interview that I did uh, for this episode with Kate Houston, who is an herbalist living in Colorado. I spoke with Kate in very late 2020. So welcome, Kate. Thank you for being here with us. Um, I'm going to let you introduce yourself to the listeners. Thank you so much for having me, Allison. My name is Kate Husted, and I'm a plant person and a clinical herbalist and a writer and a teacher and a mom and uh, the founder of the Herb Hut Free Clinic. And I live and work in southwestern Colorado in the ancestral home of the Southern Ute people. And yeah, that's my introduction. Good. (laughs) Yay. Thanks. Um, 
I always love starting out by hearing about where people are on the land and you've already sort of introduced yourself geographically. Will you tell us a little bit about the land you live on and who you share it with and all that? Oh, what a lovely question. Thank you. <laughs> um, gosh, I love the place I live so much. So like I said, we're in southwestern Colorado and it's the high desert here and it's the four corners area generally and my place where I live is in the foothills of the San Juan mountains and um, we live kind of on top of a ridge that runs from the north to the south so the sun is shining on us a lot of the time and um, we live in a forest that's dominated by ponderosa pines um, and if you've ever met a ponderosa pine, they smell like butterscotch when you smell them. And <laughs> they have really beautiful long needles um, that are like a little bit more sparsely dispersed than other coniferous trees. And it really gives them this beautiful silhouette. Um, so I just, our forest here is so special. And we're kind of in that band that's right above the pinion and juniper is right below us. And then above us, you start heading into the mountains and the snow covered peaks and the spruces and firs. And yeah, it's a beautiful place to live. I live here with my husband and my son and my husband's a bit older than me and he built this house that we live in a while before I ever got here. I think I've lived here for about 10 years. And when I arrived, we did a lot of homesteading stuff. So um, we had, my husband does sustainable forestry. So he logs with horses and has a sawmill and makes lumber and builds things. So we have some horses here and um, over the course of the time I've lived here, we've raised chickens and turkeys and I had a herd of dairy goats for a while and we did the whole subsistence gardening thing for a while. Um, yeah, so that's a little bit about where I live. Thanks for asking. Yeah, thank you so much. I could almost smell it as you were talking, that high desert. Aww. Yeah. Um, how did you get started with herbalism? How long have you been an herbalist and who did you study with? And did you have any like first plant friends that sort of reached out to you? Oh yeah. The plant friends. Um, let's see. I ever since I can remember, I've been a plant person. So I remember as a little kid, we, my family used to live in New York and I remember we moved from there when I was about 10, but I have such vivid memories of that place where we lived in the deciduous forest. And I have this kind of map of it in my head that, that's kind of rooted in all these special certain trees and where they were. So we had this like epic weeping willow there. And then we had this tree right in front of the house that was called a Camperdown Elm. And if you've never met a Camperdown Elm, they're like this domestic variety that has a central trunk and then most of the branches come out of the top part of the trunk and then 
bow down back towards the ground and almost touch the ground. And all these branches are covered in leaves that are like at least as big as my hand, if not bigger. And it forms this curtain around the tree. And you can like walk up to this tree and part this curtain of leaves and walk inside. And it's like a tent inside there. It's like a room made out of leaves. <laughs> and so as, as a kid, that was just the most magical thing ever. And when I think about like my first real plant friends, that tree really comes to mind because you could go in there and hide and people wouldn't be able to see you from the outside. And um, yeah, yeah, that tree is one of my first plant friends for sure. And then um, when I ended up going to college, I just kind of soaked up all the plant schooling I possibly could. So I was taking classes in plant physiology and plant ecology and agroecology and ethnobotany and natural history and botany. And um, then working my summers on farms, growing vegetables. So learning about plants from that kind of perspective of growing them too. Um, and then when I ended up moving here, to where I live now, I somehow heard through the grapevine that there was a local herbalist teaching classes and the whole practice of herbalism had never really crossed my path before. And I just had a super vague idea of what it was. But as soon as I heard that, this like light bulb went off in my heart and I had spent all this time growing plants for food and studying plants, wild plants from this really like removed observational perspective. Like we kind of watched what we did and we learned their scientific names, um, but there wasn't a whole lot of relationship and interaction. And, and as, as soon as I heard that I could take some herbalism classes, I was like, oh my God, I absolutely have to do that. It like fills this void that I didn't even realize that I was experiencing. <laughs> I was like, oh, I get to learn how to interact with the wild plants who are already my friends. And, 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 you know, maybe foods, maybe plants that aren't necessarily food plants, I can, I still have this opportunity to experience them through my body and take them as medicine. And it just like really completed this circle for me. Um, that I instantly knew was really important. So that teacher was, um, her name is Anna Maria Health, and she's a local lady where I live, and I ended up doing a mentorship one-on-one -on -one with her, where I would go see her every week for something like three years. And in that third year, she started saying, okay, you're ready to um, start practicing herbal medicine with friends and family, and I will, supervise you. So you can go out into the world and uh, talk to clients and do an intake and um, bring, bring what they say back to me and bring your ideas for herbs for them back to me and I'll supervise you. And I did that for about a year. And then she kind of sent me out into the world. She said, go collect as many teachers as you can. And so I did. I apprenticed at our local herb shop down in downtown Durango which is called Dancing Willow Herbs and then I became an employee there and worked for 
Deborah Swanson, who owns that place. And I studied with another local herbalist for a few years who also supervised my case studies. And we co-taught classes together at the library for a few years, which I think if anyone listening is in the process of studying herbal medicine was a really neat way to do it because you're a teacher, but you're also learning from your teacher as you're teaching. <laughs> um, and I did some correspondence stuff. So I did some correspondence work with what at the time was called the North American Institute for Medical Herbalism, I think. And I, that name has changed since then and um, studied with learningherbs.com is a great resource. It's this subscription service that um, has a ton of resources in there and going to herbal medicine conferences and um, studying with teachers like Asia Suler and Rebecca Altman. There's just so many resources out there and herbalism is so cool that way because there's not one single way to do it. Um, and I was really lucky you know I was running a farm at the time so I wasn't about to be able to travel anywhere to go to school and and that was okay so herbalism is great that way <laughs> oh it's it just hearing you and that mentorship you got at the very beginning just sounds so ideal you know having somebody oh, man. kind of bring you through yeah it sounds like you're very Absolutely. lucky yeah super lucky she was an amazing teacher she's got a PhD and chemistry stuff. She's incredible. So mm -hmm. eternally grateful mm -hmm. to Maria. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you've now started a free clinic called the Herb Hut Free Clinic. Will you tell us a little bit about that? Gladly, yeah. So the Herb Hut Free Clinic is a little nonprofit that I started in 2017. And um, we provide free and mobile herbal medicine to underserved communities in my rural county. And what that means is that I hop in my truck with this camper on the back that my husband built. And the camper is, looks like this little house made of wood. <laughs> and you can kind of stand up in there when you're <laughs> right under the peak. Um, and it has some comfy seating in there and it's, packed full of herbal medicine remedies and we take it to places like the local soup kitchen or local mobile home parks or um, local campground for unhoused people or other nonprofits who are distributing food and other services. And so the way we've organized it is we tend to show up at places where people are already showing up to receive some kind of service. And we set up, we do herbal medicine consultations, we send people home with free herbal medicines, and we're averaging like two clinics a week right now. And now there's one other employee besides me who offers our clients free massages. So we'll give clients a voucher and then they can go into her office and get a professional massage. And we are working on in expanding our practitioners and our modalities to also include things like acupuncture and chiropractors and hopefully down the road um, make it an integrated clinic so hopefully form a partnership with a nurse practitioner or somebody who can bring in the allopathic side of things and prescribe people antibiotics if they need it or something like that um, 
yeah, so that's where we are right now. Nice. Um, and did you guys, so, so tell me a little bit about how that's set up. So you mentioned an employee and you, I think you referred to yourself as an employee. So you guys are a nonprofit and how do you fund your clinic? Yeah. Um, I'm so glad you asked this because it's such a, I've, you know, over attending conferences over the years that have discussed the topic of free clinics always leave out this part about how it's funded or seem to kind of look down upon it. I feel like the, the general vibe in the community is that we're expected to fund these things out of our own pockets and our model doesn't work that way. And I knew from the very beginning that if I was going to do the best job I could do and provide a consistent presence for my clients, which I think is especially important in herbal medicine, because in the allopathic model, we're kind of used to walking into the doctor's office and telling them what our complaints are and walking out with a pill and having it be like kind of wham bam. And in herbal medicine, it really is so much more tailored to the individual and we're really working hard to address the root causes of a complaint and not just mask symptoms. And that kind of work takes time and attention. And so things really work the best when we can see clients multiple times and keep track of how things are going for them and adjust what herbs they're taking over time as necessary. And so I knew that going into it. And I also knew that especially serving a population that is unhoused and doesn't have oftentimes reliable transportation, that it was going to be really important for me to be able to say, I am going to be at this place every single Thursday from this time to this time. And you can count on me being there. And that is how we can find each other. Um, that was that was absolutely necessary to give the kind of quality of care that I wanted to. And so from the very beginning, I knew that in order to make that effort sustainable for the clinicians in the clinic that we would need to pay them and get funding from somewhere. And so the Herb Hut is funded by grants and donations from individuals mostly and there's a million different ways to set up a structure of a free clinic and you know i had to totally learn on the fly how to write grant proposals and do the fundraising thing and luckily my kind of natural skill set is in writing and communicating and that's definitely not the case for everybody and not everybody's going to want to or be able to spend the time and energy writing grant proposals, doing the fundraising thing, and that's fine. But if you can, or if you have people in your life who can for you, I really highly recommend it because it's allowed us, for all the reasons I've talked about, and it's allowed us to, you know, pay another employee besides me who's also a woman and it allows us to 
you know, in the herbalism world, a lot of us are kind of anti-capitalism and kind of um, have have money stories that <laughs> frown on us paying ourselves or um, or accepting money in any way. But but I really think that it's the Herb Hut Free Clinic also helps the community by providing an income for those of us who work to make this project happen. And it allows us to be the kind of employers that we want to see in the world and prioritize hiring indigenous black people of color, LGBTQIA people, women, <laughs> um, et cetera, et cetera. And it allows us to, to take care of our employees and pay them a living wage. And nobody's getting rich. It's a part-time job for both me and my other employee. <laughs> but but we, we are able to devote the time and energy required to really do our best job and see this project grow over time and constantly be expanding the number of people we're able to reach. So I think that it's going really well and I'm really proud of the model. <laughs> yeah, it sounds amazing. I imagine too having that kind of structure allows you to actually make the herbal medicine more accessible. Um, you know, my experience with herbalism has yes. always been like what you described with your mentor where there's like the there's like that usually it's a woman and they're somewhere in you know embedded in a community and you have to know who they are and you also have to be kind of privy to natural medicine to begin with and all of those things kind of have race and class barriers set to them not always but like there's definitely sort of a type of person that goes into herbal medicine and i would imagine that this kind of structure actually allows you to bring it to folks who maybe have never even heard of it or it wouldn't be their most go-to can you talk a little bit about what interested you in this like how do you how do you get this idea you know what why did you what made you decide i want to do this free clinic good question um Let's see, I think when I got the idea to start it, I was serving on the board of directors of my local little food co-op. And this friend of mine who was also on the board of directors with me, she was growing a vegetable garden and donating the vegetables to this local organization called the La Plata County or the La Plata Family Center. And she had just come to a meeting and come straight from there to drop off vegetables. And she said, they have no um, non-perishables in their cabinet. They, can, they don't have any canned food to hand out to people. And there was like this, it's so, <laughs> my, my level of naivety is so obvious now when I look back at this story, but this light bulb went off in my head and I was like, oh my God, there's a significant number of people in my community who don't have enough food. And I think I knew that on an intellectual level before that, but it, but it just, for some reason that day hit me on a different level. And I drove home from that meeting thinking, you know, I've, I have this gift. I have this gift to offer the world, which is plant medicine. And it just became so clear to me. I was like, I need to be giving this away for free. And I had been up until that point working in a retail herbal store on Main Avenue and I could I couldn't afford 
the herbal medicine in there. And if I hadn't been making my own for myself at home, I wouldn't be able to have access to it. And it just all became so clear to me. I was like, oh, this has helped me so much in my life. And, and I believe it can really help others. And the way we need to do it is give it away for free so that people who would have no access to it can. This episode of the Warp and Weft podcast is brought to you by me, Allison Carr. This is a completely independent, non-sponsored project at the moment. But one of the ways I make my way in the world is through the healing arts and teaching. I've combined both those skills in the most recent class I've created called the Resilience Course. It's a course that gives you instant access to tools and strategies for helping you settle and calm your nervous system. It's a self-paced five-module course that'll teach you techniques for finding a sense of safety and ease no matter what life is currently throwing at you. I designed this course just as the COVID-19 pandemic was hitting the U.S., so I designed it knowing that my students were going to be coming to the class stressed out, probably in a place of fight-or-flight activation. The course is a combination of exercises that help immediately and some theory about how your nervous system works, why you can feel stuck and frozen and scared all at the same time, and how you can regulate that so you can feel more calm, safe, and able to function. Because functioning is good. Like I said before, it's self-paced, so you can sign up at any time. You can take as much time or as little time as you like moving through the curriculum. And the best part is that it's currently, and for the foreseeable future, half-priced. I'm keeping it half-priced for the duration of the COVID-19 pandemic. And we don't know how long that's going to be. So right now that makes the course only $25. To register, you can find this course at resiliencecrashcourse, all one word, dot teachery, dot co. Or you can go to my website, alisoncar.net, and find a link for it under the Work With Me tab. You kind of have to scroll to the bottom of the page. There's a quote on your website that really struck me. Um, And I'm going to read it, and then I wonder if we could talk about it a little bit. So you say, the societal and economic structures that separate us from our place in nature and enforce inequality are the roots of many of our illnesses. Can you say a little bit more about how you see that play out, um, what that means? Mm, Yeah. Yeah, so at the Herb Hut Free Clinic, I see a ton of clients who don't go to the doctor for any reason whatsoever. And that surprised me when I started it. I was not expecting to go into this and become primary care for people. I was expecting to be a kind of supplemental care situation. And I've learned so much about all the reasons that people don't go to the doctor and you know, um, not having insurance, not having transportation to get there, having a history of trauma in the doctor's office that now keeps you out of there, 
um, experiencing transphobia or fat phobia or racism in the doctor's office, being an undocumented immigrant, all these things. There's so many people falling through the cracks in the healthcare, you know, the supposed healthcare system that we have. <laughs> and that's what I mean when I say the social and economic systems that keep us unwell. And then that's, even that's leaving out all the people who can and do go to the doctor and who aren't being helped there for any number of reasons. Um, and that's a lot of people who show up at herbal medicine's door. It's because they have some kind of chronic issue that has not been resolved in the allopathic model and they need to try something else now. And then that piece about being separated from nature is such a huge one. Um, yeah, such a huge topic to talk about. But um, I think it it pervades our dominant worldview. This idea that probably has roots in Christianity and that origin story of that humans are separate from nature and that nature is made for us to use and to shape and to dominate and and it's just not true <laughs> and in reality i love i loved when i saw the name of your podcast for the first time i was just like oh yay because i always describe this in the metaphor of a tapestry really human beings are just one thread in this huge elaborate tapestry that is the world and no thread is any better or worse or worth any less than another as soon as one thread comes out or gets disturbed the whole tapestry um is looking raggedy <laughs> and breaking down and um and so this idea that we're separate from nature is resulting in all these barriers to our true health. So the fact that entire regions don't have clean water to drink and the fact that a huge percentage of people who live in my region have asthma because we're a methane hotspot due to fracking, et cetera, et cetera. The, the natural disasters that are becoming increasingly frequent are all rooted in our notion that we're not part of nature and are causing us health issues basically yeah thank you for that question mm -hmm. yeah i when i saw that i read that's it really struck me and that was part of you know when i read it, i was like oh yeah absolutely want to talk to her for sure yeah. Well, thanks. Which is which leads us to the next topic, which would probably be good for us to 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 touch on, which is colonialism and whiteness and whiteness within herbalism and also colonialism within everything. You know, I mean, as you're talking, I'm like, oh yes, of course. Like the you know, kind of like the root of most domination is the separation of people from their land and their resources, and that goes all the way back all the way back. So 
herbal, you know, and, and herbalism is a interesting field because it is a, there are so many indigenous herbal traditions. And then there is also in this country, there is a European herbalism that was brought over by folks who were settlers and colonists of which we are both descendant from. And uh, especially lately, there's been a real reckoning between how much did herbalism take on, on you know, uh, what do I want to call appropriate, you know, from, from the land as it was, as Europeans were colonizing this place and how much of it can we, you know, there's like a push pull because as white folks, we can look back to our, our own indigenous roots as Europeans and be like, okay, there's something vital and good here that connects us back to our ancestry. And then there's also this whole other part, which is what our most recent ancestors did when they got here, which was a lot of taking. Can you speak to, I mean, do you want to speak to any of that? How you see it playing oh out? Oh my gosh, or? yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you yeah. so much. Yeah, thank you so much for bringing that up. Yeah. Um, let's see, I feel like the example you're making me, or the examples that you're making me think of right now that really kind of paint the perfect picture of this phenomenon and this issue I see with whiteness in contemporary herbal medicine is the stories of the plants white sage and palo santo and yeah. <laughs> yeah and and white sage is salvia apiana and it's um native to a small region in southern california and it's incredibly sacred to the indigenous people who are also from that region and it has been massively over harvested from that area and it's something that we can go into almost any health food store and find a bundle of it and right next to it will be some sticks of palo santo um, that we can just buy and palo santo has a really similar story it's incredibly sacred to the indigenous people who have developed a relationship with it in South America and Central America, I believe. And it also is becoming more and more rare and the plant community is becoming really stressed out. And yet we have these things available for purchase at a moment's notice all over the place. And it's such a good example of the entitlement that is that comes along with whiteness this this feeling like nature is there for me to use and to take and i can take whatever i want from wherever i want even though there's hundreds of plants that are perfectly appropriate for burning medicine um, that are probably in most of your backyards right now or on your spice cabinet like rosemary or kitchen sage. The list goes on forever and yet we have this idea like I need the most exotic, most powerful, most rare, most spiritual plant and those are the ones that are good enough for me <laughs> those are the ones that are really going to work and there's such 
such awful irony in that, that we would burn a plant for the purpose of spiritual cleansing and have such blood on our hands as we're doing it, um, I think is the perfect example of the way colonization continues to play out in herbal medicine. And that is really the kind of phenomenon that has inspired me to work on this online course that I'm currently working on. That is a course for white herbalists on colonized lands. And I'm hoping to release it sometime in 2021. And hopefully it will address a lot of these issues. It will help us recognize the ways in which the colonizer still lives inside of us and give us some tools for working to extract that from within ourselves and quit perpetuating that colonizing behavior that is kind of the water that we're swimming in and and it's really you know it's possible to be blind to it um, and not realize what you're doing as you're doing it and so I spend a fair amount of time thinking about the ways to do that and thinking about putting plants in, in their context and in certain categories and thinking about how can I rely more often on plants that are native to my ancestry and just so happen to be really weedy here <laughs> because there's tons of them available to us and we can make a really useful apothecary using mostly those plants and then really looking at the plants who are native here looking at those plants with a really discerning lens and taking each case um, separately and deciding the appropriate way to move forward and sometimes I think that's going to mean not making medicine with it and there's over the years as I've been thinking about this there's a handful of plants who I used to really rely on um, who are just you know every plant is like a totally unique being and the relationship with it is beautiful and you you develop that over time and then realize well it's not something that is easily grown in a garden um, it is native to this place and it's not rare or endangered but it's not quite common enough it's to, it makes me want to just leave it for people who are indigenous to this place, um, if that makes sense. So yeah, yeah, I spend a lot of time thinking about that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And well, and also just the idea that like the relationship doesn't have to exist solely around the medicine, right? So that relationship is there, even yes. if you no longer are using the plant, which is, I, I wrote this to you in an email we exchanged before this, but it's just a question that I'm constantly asking myself and I, I don't have the answer um, but I wonder if we could talk about it a little bit which is just like it, we're both descendants of settlers on uninvited like you know we live uninvited on land that we're not our ancestrally ours um, we it, it sounds like just talking to you there's a deep love that you have for the land that you live on 
Um, and I put myself in the same category of like having grown up in a place where I had a deep, deep love, the Pacific Northwest, deep love for the land that I lived on there. And now moving to a new home where I am developing a deep love with the land that I live on here. Um, how do you think about, how do you, what's your process around thinking about developing right relationship with the place that you live, knowing that like you don't have the ancestral roots there, but yet there is a desire to be in relationship and, a, and, and also a deep love for the place that you live. Like, how do you, how do you wrestle with that? Yes. Thank you. Yeah. I just identify so much with everything you just said. Um, definitely feeling all of that. Um, let's see. For me personally, the connecting to the land part has come first and pretty relatively easily and relatively naturally and has been the source for all the other future ways I've come to think about this. So the name that I like to use for the earth or mother earth is Big Mama. That's just my personal name for her. And Big Mama, the way I perceive it, she welcomes us into her arms, no matter who we are or where we are or what kind of evil we may have done. <laughs> Big Mama will offer you a sense of belonging and a feeling of being held and loved unconditionally if you listen and open yourself to that experience and and so that's true on one hand <laughs> and then that said my my the nuance of this has evolved for me over time. And I remember being a college student, young punk environmental studies kid. And I was, I have got into this argument with my partner at the time who was really studying issues of social justice. And I remember saying, I remember saying, well, this cannot be the first priority because climate change is going to kill us all before we get around to healing our human relationships. <laughs> and, you know, we're all going to burn up and wash away. And that's really got to be our first priority. We have to really focus on the environment first. And I'm totally cringing as I'm remembering saying this because it's so clear to me now <laughs> that the mindset that I was saying those things from was that same old trope that people and nature are two different things and they can be addressed separately and it's so clear to me now that 
it's all one thing and you can't heal one without also healing the other humans are nature and nature is humans and and so that is all to say that as white people living on colonized land if our goal and our desire is to be connected to the land that we live on then a lot of repair and healing needs to happen with the people who are indigenous to these places because our ancestors did harm to the people of the land and when you harm the people of the land you harm the land it's it's all the same thing Mm -hmm. and so one really helpful thing i've learned in therapy is uh, the cycles of a healthy relationship and for the listeners, I can't draw this out, but if you imagine a circle with kind of three stages that we move through in any healthy relationship, whether that's romantic or friendship or familial or professional, any kind, there's connection and conflict inevitably shows up at some point because we're humans. And then we need to, after the conflict, go through a phase of repair in order to get back to the connection part of the cycle. And so often we try to skip the repair part and just go from connection to conflict to connection to conflict to connection to conflict. And all of that missing repair work builds up over time and makes a genuine connection more and more impossible. And the way that we go about repairing is first of all acknowledging that harm has been done and accepting accountability for it apologizing for it and then doing the work that's required to make it right and that means changing our behavior and giving of ourselves, sacrificing of ourselves. The word reparation comes from the word repair. And if we truly want to be connected with the land, then we need to do, this repair work is absolutely essential and it's come, it's come, it's far overdue now. And I think it's falling on, those of us who are alive right now to do that work with the land and the people of the land. Cause those are both the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, I just want to pause for a moment. Cause I'm like, well, we're at the end and this is where I normally ask people about, you know, what they offer and where people can find you. But I want to just take a second actually to pause because we sort of, we dipped deep into that and I don't want to just skip right out of it. So I'm just going to take a deep breath and sure. sit with what you said and um, see if there's yeah. any more that we need to talk about around that. I guess the one last question I would have around that, I think 
how do you how do you see yourself going about repair work in big or small ways? Um, is the herb hut part of that repair that you feel like you're doing? Yeah, the herb hut is definitely a piece of it. Um, I think also, gosh, there's so many different angles to come at this from. And I think approaching it from a little bit of all of them is kind of required of us. But um, I think about tithing a portion of the money that I have and make in my life um, to Indigenous-led initiatives and Indigenous-owned businesses um, to kind of redistribute that power in the form of money is a, a good place to start. And the acknowledgement piece, talking about um, who ancestral home the land you're living on is belongs to <laughs> i don't know if that sentence made grammatical sense but um and talking about whiteness and the problems with it and um working to heal that kind of hierarchical thinking that's inherent in whiteness offering your gifts your professional services up um to for free um is a part of it i think um acting in integrity we talked a little bit about it earlier about acting in integrity with our plant medicine and just all the ways that we live on the earth and um trying to do as little harm as possible as we go about our lives and trying to act as separate as possible <laughs> mm. or not to act separate from nature mm. is what i mean um the land back movement all these there's so much good indigenous-led projects out there right now to educate ourselves about and support and get involved in and the food sovereignty movement the land back movement if if people are owning land um seriously considering where it's gonna go <laughs> after you um considering giving it back to tribes or individuals um considering opening it up to your indigenous people to come hunt or fish or gather or do whatever they see fit. Um, listening, I feel like is probably the thing that should really just come first is um, widening our circles to include indigenous people and listening to the ways because there's a million ways that they are telling us what to do and what we can do right now. And so I think that's probably the first step really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those yeah. are just some ideas. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Those are great. As you're talking, I'm also thinking of another resource, which is there's a, a movement generation has made a framework for just transitions. And then there's a 
group up here in Alaska that has taken that and Alaskanified it. Um, and I don't know if other groups around mm. the U.S. have also taken a look at movement generations principles for a just transition. But um, if people are interested in that too, I'll pop that in the show notes. There's a wonderful zine that the folks up here in Alaska have created around how that works for us within this ecosystem. And then I'm sure other people have been talking and thinking about that. But yeah, no, those are wonderful resources. Thank you. So then lastly, let's talk a little bit about you have a private practice and you've mentioned one class at least that you are working on and you offer some other classes. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you offer and where people can find you? Sure. Thank you. Um, so let's see. Just today, I actually opened up um, a little herbal learning subscription service. Um, so it's like a, a little membership site where a new class on kind of herbal medicine 101 drops every month. And um, we're going to kind of start with the basic stuff. So like techniques for herbal medicine making at home and plants for common ailments. And then over time move into self-care rituals and plant magic and guided meditations. And we'll do live virtual tea parties in there. <laughs> so that's like a really, you know, if you're just learning about the how-to stuff of herbal medicine, that's a great kind of low-pressure affordable resource. And then I have a couple other courses that are on my website that you can sign up for anytime and do at your leisure. One is about plant communication, which is um, probably, it's the first one I ever made and it has such a sweet place in my heart. And it relates back to what you were talking about earlier about all these ways that we have to be in relationship with plants without ever harvesting them. <laughs> um, so that one is a favorite. There's one called Herbs for Boundaries and Protection. And if you, the best possible way to stay in touch with me is to sign up for my newsletter. Uh, there's a lot of really good content in there. And then you will be in touch with when I come up with new courses to offer. People tend to really seem to really like my newsletter. It comes out on the sometime around the new and the full moon and um, it has a kind of devoted readership. So I don't think you'll regret it if you sign up. <laughs> Great. Um, and then of course the, the, the new last question, I had an old last question that I asked, but the new last question for this podcast is so you know, we're focusing on the idea of weaving the world back together. So if you could pick one thread or strand um, that you feel is the most important for you to hold and weave throughout your lifetime, what would it be? Oh, gosh, this is such a good question. It makes me think about... It makes me remember the gifts that I was sent to this world with and the gifts that all, we all have gifts that, we're, that we come here with. And if you're a listener and you haven't asked yourself or asked the people who are closest to you in your life what your kind of natural born gifts are, give yourself that that gift because it's such 
such empowering and beautiful and important knowledge for us to have about ourselves. And it's just aligns us with our purpose and guides the way we move through the world and makes us so much more effective and <laughs> powerful. And um, for me, those, that means I was born a writer and I was born a plant person and I was born a sensitive person. Um, so I'm able to perceive communication from the more than human world. And I see a lot of my responsibility with the thread that I'm weaving as kind of um, translating that, I guess. Mm. Yeah. And sharing that. Yeah. So that's a just gorgeous question. Thank you yeah. so much. Oh, thank you so much for joining me. This was a really lovely conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I had a wonderful time. Thank you so much, Allison. Yeah. And we're going to pop all of the links that we of things we discussed here into the show notes. Um, so if people are interested, they can check them out there. Thank you once again for joining us for the Warp and Weft podcast. I'm your host, Allison Carr, and you can find out more about me on my website, allisoncarr.net. That's A-L-L-I-S-O-N-C-A-R-R dot N-E-T. One of the best ways you can support podcasts like this is by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. If you happen to listen on that platform, give us a five-star rating and a positive review, and it will do so much to help other people find our work. Thanks again, and I look forward to connecting with you in the next episode.